loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Rabbi Stephen K. Sorry, Stephen Z. Leader. Stephen, the senior rabbi of Wilshire Boulevard Temple in Los Angeles and the author of such critically acclaimed books as The Extraordinary Nature of Ordinary Things and More Money Than God, Living a Rich Life Without Losing Your Soul. He has studied at Northwestern University, Trinity College, Oxford, and Hebrew Union College. He's a recipient of the American Jewish Press Association's Louis Rappaport Award for Excellence in Commentary and the Religious Action Center's Kovler Award. And he's a fellow in the British American Project, a think tank bringing together leaders from America and Great Britain. Newsweek magazine named him one of the 10 most influential rabbis in America. Rabbi Leader lives with his family in Los Angeles. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Your your book, of course, really resonates for me in terms of, um, you know, first of all, not not saying that bad things happen to teach us, but also saying um, since they happen, what can we, how can we transform, how can we learn really resonates. And also um, this quote, the sun also always rises no matter how dark the night. Uh, connected yes. for me very much. You know, I, I think we should just at the beginning establish, since in the intro you talked about my first two books, that what you and I are discussing today is actually a new book, my third book called More Beautiful Than Before, How Suffering Transforms Us. So everything that you've referred to is actually in the new book, not in the previous in the new two, book. so that you're Yes, I, I noticed now that you say that the, your bio didn't refer to that, and of course that is what we're talking about today. Um and where where I wanted to start on that is um, something that interested me a lot, which is that, of course, as a, a leader of a temple, you've been there through a lot of crisis of other peoples yeah. and offered support and guidance and uh, love in those moments. And yet this book, to me, seems to come out of um, what you learned that you didn't know in your own experience of difficulty. And I wonder if you could share with the listeners some of what happened for you, and then we can kind of talk about what it changed for you. Sure. Um, I wrote this book uh, after having been a rabbi of this very large congregation of about 10,000 people for 27 years. So I was uh, 27 years of helping other people through terribly painful circumstances and challenges. And then after 27 years of helping others, I had my own terribly painful experience. In my case, it was uh, a really frightening car accident that, to make a long story short, resulted in uh, just excruciating, excruciating lower back pain uh, that essentially, you know, really almost paralyzed me from the waist down. Uh, I couldn't walk. I couldn't really move. Uh, I started taking opioids and eating them like candy, um, opioids, steroids, opioids, steroids. And I was 
finally had to have spinal surgery and then more opioids and more steroids, and I kind of spiraled down into this terrible um, depression, really, and, and addiction, um, <clears throat> which I was able to pull out of, but not without the help of other you know, remarkable people. And this experience of the car accident and the pain and the surgery and the recovery kind of awakened me to the fact that those 27 years prior that I had been helping people through pain, I actually knew very little about pain. Hmm. And that this experience had come to teach me a lot of things that I didn't know before about pain. Uh, And I decided to write this book as both a kind of um, apology in a way for not having been better attuned to pain and, and what can soothe our suffering, and uh, hopefully as a way to reach out to people far beyond my own congregation who suffer these terrible life events. And, and by the way, that means all of us, because to be human is to suffer. Yes. I was lucky enough to um, to read The Road Less Traveled very early in my life, and I, I believe the first line is something like, uh, life is suffering or everyone suffers. Yes, um, correct. And, uh, it, you know, I, I think that we, we all uh, are kind of trained to think if we're suffering, there's something wrong, and it's probably something wrong with us. Well... You know, I think one of the things I talk about in the book that's so important is that innocent people suffer. Look, sometimes there's a correlation between behavior and suffering. If you smoke three packs a day for 20 years and you get lung cancer, it's pretty clear that you're at fault. But for everyone, there are countless times when we are the innocent victims of suffering. And we have to move from the why me question to the why not me, you know, to be human is to suffer. And I'm not cursed. I'm not singled out. And I am not incapable of responding to this suffering. The first chapter in the book is called when you must, you can. And it's absolutely true, but it's not something, you know, of course, until you're challenged. This is so much the case. And because, you know, because of my own experience, the title of your book, More Beautiful Than Before, um, resonates with me so much because um, w- when we when we must, we can, true. And sometimes when we must and we can, um, something unexpected comes out of it. Uh, I became such a happier person facing up to my own difficulties, which came as a shock. Right. I mean, Uh, that's why I called the book more beautiful than before. Because, look, first of all, let's start with what I think it means to be a truly spiritual person. To me, what it means, you know, spirituality is a word that's so overused now that it's lost its meaning, it's lost its currency. To me, the essence of spirituality is to be a person who can hold two seemingly contradictory truths within one's soul. And here's what I mean by that when it comes to suffering and pain. In a way, we are actually more whole when broken. There is a depth of empathy, a depth of wisdom, a depth of connection 
to ourselves and to others that is only possible is the is can only come as a result of pain and suffering of having been broken so um, <clears throat> I'll give you a kind of religious or spiritual understanding of this uh, I was at a think tank many years ago um, I, I would say like six months after this after this accident and <clears throat> someone turned to me and said well, how, how did this change you? And I immediately said, I'm a nicer person. Now, I don't think I was a bad guy before, but right. I'm definitely a nicer person. And, and he told me this beautiful story. It has to do with a verse in the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, that says, God puts God's words upon our hearts. And the sages ask this question, why did God put God's words upon our heart? Why not in our hearts? Certainly, if God is capable of putting words upon our hearts, God is capable of putting words in our hearts. And the answer the sages give is the following. God places words upon our hearts, and it isn't until our hearts are broken that the words can enter. So beautiful. That That is. It's only in our brokenness that we can be truly whole somehow. And to me, this is the, the upside of this downside called life. It's, it's sometimes I refer to as collateral beauty. And I think, Cheryl, it's very important to be clear about something in this book. I am not idealizing or glorifying pain. I'm not for a moment positing that what we gain from pain is worth it. But neither is it worth less. And I think that's the important, you know, lesson to take away. I remember a friend of mine, his name was Paul Miller, uh, had three different forms of cancer, and the third was fatal. And I remember visiting him in the hospital when he was dying of this third cancer, and he looked up at me from his bed and he said, you know, Steve, this much character I don't need. (laughs) And who does, by the way? Right. right. I'm not trying to to glorify suffering as, you know, just really not suffering at all. It's just a step on this path towards some kind of enlightenment. No, it's terrible. It's painful. It's frightening. It's depressing. However, if you're going to walk through hell, you don't have to come out empty-handed. Well, that's that's what I'm saying continuously all the time is if stuff's going to happen, we may as well get something out of it. Yeah, and we can't and choose what know. happens to us, but that's right. But we can choose our response. And and there's a, there are many things, I think, in the book to help us respond more fully and productively to the challenges in our lives. And, you know, pain comes in many forms. There's physical pain. Uh, there's the pain of divorce. There's a pain of a kid in trouble. There's the pain of anxiety, the pain of depression, uh, the pain of a ruined reputation. And by the way, another thing that, that I think is important to mention is that the book deals with a part of pain that very few do, which is not when, are we, when we're the victim of pain, but what do we do when we are the cause of pain to another person? Yes. What do we do yes. when we are the betrayer, not the betrayed? Then what? Yes, uh, you you talk pretty eloquently. I feel about um, the impact that uh, 
giving and asking for and giving forgiveness might have an, on a dynamic. And so that's powerful. That's to your point that um, I, I especially uh, enjoyed, well, enjoyed is always a funny word on this, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But uh, you told two stories of two accidents in which a, a uh, fan, yeah. person died. And they were so remarkably different in terms of how people recovered um, because yeah. in one case, uh, the the person who'd who'd um, caused the accident uh, was completely unrepentant, and in the other, the person took seriously the damage that had that had happened. I thought that was a very moving yeah. counterpoint. Do you, do you want to say any more about that? Sure, sure. Uh, that's that piece is called hurt and run. And it was uh, written during a year when I had two families in the congregation lose loved ones as pedestrians uh, who were hit by cars. In the first case, it was a hit and run, 25-year-old young man, uh, and this uh, woman hit him and just kept on going and left him like roadkill. And then, you know, the story was in the newspapers, it, 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 everyone was looking for this woman, uh, and she had a year and a half to come forward and didn't. And it was only through some very, very creative police work that she was finally uh, discovered and arrested. Mm. And even after being arrested, when she was being interrogated, the uh, police officer left the room and she didn't realize that she and her husband, who had also been complicit in this, were being recorded. And she said to her husband, just lie, lie about everything. And she never, ever took the opportunity to apologize and <clears throat> is in jail right now and frankly has still not apologized to this family. In the second case, uh, a woman was fumbling for her cell phone, when, which had fallen off the center console of the car, you know, and was fumbling around on the floor and driving at the same time. And, you know, who hasn't done that? And she hit and killed a, an 80-year-old man in a crosswalk. Unlike in the first case, she stopped, she got out, she called for help. Um, she did everything she could through the civil and criminal cases. She did hundreds of hours of community service, including going all over Southern California, giving talks about to high school kids about the dangers of cell phone use and driving. Uh, and then she called the widow of the man who was killed and asked if she could meet with her to seek her forgiveness. And this woman called me and said, Rabbi, do I have to meet with her? And I said, you do. She said, will you be there? And I said, I will. And I met with the woman and her son first to prepare them for this meeting. And then this woman who had killed her husband walked into my office and the four of us sat down to have this conversation. And it was one of, if not the most moving, powerful experiences of my life. Because this woman said to this other woman who's now a widow and her son, the three most difficult words for human beings to say, which are not, by the way, I am sorry. You know, I am sorry can mean a lot of things. It can mean, Mm. I'm sorry I got caught. It can (laughs) mean, I'm sorry you felt that I, but I didn't. There's a lot of wiggle room in I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you think I. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love that one in couples therapy. (laughs) Yeah, right? And, And there's a lot of latitude in I'm sorry. This woman said something far more difficult than I am sorry, which is, I was wrong. 
She, com- uh, you know, I was wrong is a much higher degree of culpability and responsibility for one's behavior. And she said, I was wrong and I've done everything I can, but I know I can never bring him back. And I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And then this widow walked over to her, cupped her face in her hands with tears streaming down both of their cheeks and said to her, God bless you. And they hugged. And it was over. It put, and the woman called me, uh, the widow, she called me the next day and said it was the first night in five years she had been able to sleep through the night. So the, the piece is called Hurt and Run because I do say in it, look, almost no one reading this book is going to hit and run. But we all hurt and run. We all leave other people's feelings, you know, behind like roadkill. And, and we all have opportunities in our lives to look at the people we love and say, I was wrong. And that begins the path to reconciliation. And that begins the path back to love. And it's, and it's extremely, uh, uh, powerful even in situations you think you know we're in a way we're talking about restorative justice uh just not in prison but uh my niece for instance works with uh sex offenders in san quentin Mm -hmm. um and it's a restorative justice project and Mm -hmm. she comes home from her workshops there so moved at these men's capacity to take responsibility and to um, to change inside. So yeah. even even in those circumstances, and some of the people who are harmed by them don't want to participate. There there is that option, but they're still doing the work one way or the yeah. other. So yeah. I, I feel it's incredibly power and powerful and such. Um, Such a a contrast to the way our mindset is, uh, where uh, if they get terribly punished, I'll feel better. It's usually not true. Yeah, and it's not true. It it really, you know, um, a lot of people don't realize that forgiveness is really not for the sake of the perpetrator. Forgiving helps the victim. Now, it may also help the perpetrator, but, you know, it really lightens the burden of the person who was offended. It Mm. helps them let it go. And by the way, I also talk about this in the book. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean you're expected to forget what happened to you. It doesn't make you stupid. (laughs) That's right. Very good. That'd be a good title for a book. It doesn't make you stupid. Right. That's good. Well, it's, about to, it's about time for our first first break, so we'll pick this up when we get back. And right. listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, all those good things. And to find uh, Steve Leader, you can go to the website of his temple, www.wbtla.org. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Rabbi Stephen Leder, author of More Beautiful Than Before. And before the break, Steve, we were um, talking about uh, forgiveness and, and its connection to restorative justice and the way in which people are impacted um, by being able to take full responsibility for what they've done that has harmed someone else. And um, you go into forgiveness pr- pretty deeply in the book, and I wonder if you'd like to share some of the kind of the principles that have meaning for you when it comes to forgiveness. Yes, I'd be happy to. I, you know, I think that forgiveness in theory, everyone's in favor of it, but how do you actually, in a pragmatic, practical way, how, how do you actually facilitate forgiveness? Uh, and this is a question that was answered more than 800 years ago by the in my opinion, the greatest thinker of the Middle Ages, uh, Maimonides, Moses Maimonides, who was both a rabbi and a physician. So he understood both the spirit and, and the body. And uh, he, he established a four-step process to uh, create the possibility for reconciliation. The four steps, when you hurt another person or a group of people, when you betray uh, when you make a terrible mistake, 
the four steps are, number one, stop. Whatever it is you were doing that was hurting another, stop. Secondly, confess that sin out loud. And he's very clear on this point, that it's one thing to say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, oh, that was stupid, to yourself. But to actually have to verbalize that is a very important part of this process of breaking through the denial of the perpetrator. Mm. So you stop, you confess out loud to God and to others. Third, you seek forgiveness for what you have done. You go to the person or people you have hurt and you ask for their forgiveness. And finally, you have a plan, you make a plan that will prevent you from committing the same painful mistake again. Whatever that plan may be, uh, let's take in the case we were discussing earlier of this woman who killed a man in the crosswalk. Put your phone in the glove compartment. You know, uh, if you're an alcoholic, stay away from the holiday party where there's alcohol. Have a plan so that you are not likely to commit that same sin or mistake again. Now, if you go through those four steps, here's the interesting thing that the sages say. If you sincerely go through this process of these four steps and seek the forgiveness of the person you hurt, and if that person refuses to forgive you three times, then the sin is on that person. So Maimonides had a way of creating a process that really brought people together rather than pulled them further apart. And boy, couldn't the world use more of that. <laughs> Amen to that. Mm-hmm. And it also just occurs to me that um, if I think of that uh, somewhat psychologically, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's one thing to touch our own um, humanness for a second and get a little burned and say, Whoa. <laughs> but mm-hmm. to, to hang in with yourself and your own imperfection long enough to do all that and then apologize not once or twice, or th- but three times, yes. uh, to me that requires a certain uh, humility that is yes. in short supply sometimes. You know, that, I, I'm so glad you, you brought up this idea of humility. Because uh, there's another piece in the book called Stoop Low, that you can only reach great heights by stooping low. Again, you know, we were talking earlier about how spirituality really involves holding seemingly paradoxical or contradictory truths together into one truth. And that it's, it's somehow that the dichotomous tension between these two seemingly opposite ideas is what sustains life itself. So, for example, when we're talking about humility... What does it mean to be a religious person? It means to have a sense both of one's greatness and one's insignificance, one's, in hum- one's, one's humility. Cathedral architecture is a good example of this. When you walk into a great cathedral, it creates in you two feelings at the same time. One, a feeling of transcendence and greatness and awe, and a feeling of smallness hmm. and humility. And they're both real, and they're both happening simultaneously. And they both seem to be at odds with each other, but really, they are not. They're the, being able to live with these two different 
concepts together is a sign of wisdom and maturity. So in order to be great, one has to have a proper measure of humility. And in order to be humble, one also has to live with a certain measure of greatness. And, and this is very important when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation. We could also call that humanness. Uh, yeah, you know, just recognizing that that it, it, there is not perfection. We're we're not made perfect. Uh, no, what a natural know, error it would be to re- yeah. reach down for your phone, wouldn't it be? Yeah, of we're, course. We're all just terribly lucky. Those of yeah, us that's who've right. never and, you done know, that. When people, <laughs> when, when people come to see me to complain about someone else in their family. Assuming that it, you know, it's it's an appropriate thing to respond with, you know, it depends on the nature of the transgression. But I often say to people who can't forgive, "Are you so perfect? Have you never slammed a door in anger? Have oh, they you must never love you for that." <laughs> with, your, with your words, you know, huh? a little humility might be in order. So. That takes me to something I really wanted to talk to you about because I I love the honesty in which you described with which you described the process of coming to terms with your injury. Um, yes. Because I would have to say that uh, as you described it, when it first happened, uh, you were the opposite of yes. humble about yes. it. Let's say. Yes. You That's thought right. you could power through, you uh, yes. you just kept going, right? I relied, and- so when I was first presented with this terrible pain, I knew no other way to address pain than to ignore it. Because that's what I have done my, that's what I had done my entire life. I just worked through it, I ignored it, I denied it, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going, until it brought me literally to my knees. And until I was so dependent on opioids and I was so dependent on steroids that, and, and then became clinically depressed as a result of that dependency, that I, I finally just could not bear it. And it took extreme pain to get me to that place. And you know, the, in the book, there's this essay called The Prisoner Cannot Free Himself. Mm-hmm. No one suffers pain better alone. No one. And we need the humility that pain brings to sometimes, and in my case, definitely forced me, forced me to reach out. I could not do this alone. And that extreme pain and that forcing me to reach out changed my life because now I reach out far more easily for help from others. It's and really I not so bad, is others it? more. Not only is it not bad, it's it's incredibly gratifying to know that you're not alone. You know, I, I think the most difficult part of pain for everyone, physical or or emotional pain, the the most difficult part is the feeling of abandonment, the feeling of isolation, the feeling of I am in this alone and I don't see a way out. And if you are willing to reach out your hand. Others will hold your hand and lift you from your suffering, but you have to reach out. And by you know, the way, it, it, I think it, it's it, important it, to say as well, sure, that mm-hmm. some people, yes, will disappoint you. 
And the way I put this in the book, and it sounds very facile, but it's also very, very true and important. When you reach out for help, the people who matter won't mind, and the people who mind don't matter. Pain strips away a lot of nonsense from our lives, including people. Yes, I, I mean, I, I think obviously I encounter that a lot working with cancer, uh, mm-hmm. because cancer is a litmus test on friendship. You better uh, believe it. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, you find be- out who your friends because, are and who because, they are not. Yeah, one because there's so much societal fear of cancer. Yes. Someone can be diagnosed with a heart condition that could kill them any minute, but it doesn't generally uh, activate the same fear center. Um, That's right. Cancer's got its own special thing. But in the process, of course, it's looking back, we can say, well, that sorted it out. Uh, I had one client once who everyone was talking about how their friendships had changed so much. And she said, you know, my friendships really haven't changed at all. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, so what happened before? Mm -hmm. And it turned out Mm -hmm. a few years before her mother had died. Yeah. Yeah. And all the yeah. people who <laughs> couldn't handle that were gone. Yeah. And so when she was diagnosed with cancer, the people in her life were really there for her. And that yeah. I, I, I really hold that, that story in great regard because in general, when we have hard times, it, it, it uh, illuminates doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's another one of those examples of a of something that seems paradoxical on the surface, but is actually quite holistic and wise. Which is less is more, right? Fewer pain leaves you with fewer friends, but in a way, more friendship. And and you know, strips away a lot of things that were kind of illusory. I I you know, I'd say this relates to a, another point in the book where I talk about how to help people who are suffering. And one of the things not to say, I tell people often, never, never say these seven words when someone you care about is suffering. And those seven words are, let me know if you need anything. Absolutely. That is, that is like kabuki empathy. It's fake. It's, it's just not sincere. It's not helpful. You know, even if it's sincere, you're, you're nevertheless placing the burden back on the shoulders of the person who's suffering. And that's wrong. Figure it out. Just do something, even something small. But it's your job to reach out and and to soothe the suffering of others, not to ask them to tell you what to do. And, and, you know, again, there is so much that people get reflexively wrong when it comes to suffering that, that really, with a little guidance, can change and can make us all better friends for each other, better husbands, better wives, better brothers, better sisters, better better kids for our parents and better parents for our kids. I have to put a plug in for my favorite book on that subject right now, which is called There is No Good Card for This. Uh, it, mm, it's quite good. an excellent yeah. and accessible book about uh, all those, all those unhelpful things we can say, and yeah, don't send uh, a and card. what Show real up. helping looks like. And one, one idea I like from that book is um, it has to be something you actually want to do. Uh, yeah. It has to be 
whatever size it is, it has to be right sized. Yeah. Uh, because if you and try to get more than that, more. yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna deteriorate. And I I think that's so important. Having been in a caregiving situation, um, and our family received a ton of help for a really long time. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh! If you're in that kind of dire situation, you can feel it when people are giving things they don't want to be giving. Oh yes, it's, it's just Absolutely. so obvious. You know, it, uh, you, it rings it, false, or or as I said before, putting the burden on you and hoping you never call. It's terrible. Well, or even if even if uh, let's say the person really would like to get a call, boy, it never lined up. When I needed no. something, I never remember who remembered who said that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. it's it's just it's too confusing a circumstance to right. to manage that I, way. Yeah. So I, I think the you know the larger point here is that being a being a person who who reaches out to help others involves not only what you do but what you don't do and what you don't say. And and it's an art. It's not a science. And it requires sensitivity. And it requires us to think about how we would want to be treated if we were the one who was suffering. And, and this is all possible. You know, I wrote this book to help people on both sides of the suffering and pain equation. The ones who want to help and the ones who need the help. And we, and we all are um, both at some point or another. Oh, uh, my one goodness. thing I, I noticed I, uh, as a, yeah, I, I noticed as a caregiver that uh, when I, when I got it wrong with myself, I, could jump into the other position real quick. I'd hurt my back or I'd, you know. Yeah. Yeah. um, And we all, you're right. We all are going to experience this. You know, uh, Bob Marley was right when he said, when the rain falls, it don't fall on one man's house. Everybody gets (laughs) rained on. Yes, everyone does. Um, And I guess, uh, I, I guess what I'd like to head towards, we're just about to go to a break, but, um, you know, we're we're talking about um, difficulty. We haven't talked much about death, though, mm-hmm. uh, and except for the two people who lost their loved ones right. in the accidents. Um, but I, th- but I think there's a particularly virulent level of fear around facing yes. our own deaths, in particular, and therefore yes. other people's deaths as as well. Sure. And I, I thought you had some good insights uh, to share about um, about that subject. So when we get back from the break, can we start there? Of course, of course. It's an important Great. topic for us all. Wonderful. So during the break, uh, you can all listeners go to my website, weatherandgrief.com, the Good Grief host page at Voice America. And to find Steve Leader, you can go to www.wbtla.org. And you can also go to Amazon to look for his book, More Beautiful Than Before. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you heard of nutritional balancing? Your body's biochemistry affects the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of your life. Many of the diseases we face are related to an imbalance of the mind, body, and spirit. 
Find out how to get everything back in line when you tune in to Healing Treasures of Wisdom with host Daniel Solomon. Learn how to heal yourself and your family every week. Listen Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to good grief. Welcome back to good grief. I'm here with Stephen Leader, whose book, More Beautiful Than Before, offers insight into how we can relate to pain in our lives and carry ourselves through it. And um, I wanted to be sure and get to the subject of the pain of death, either ourselves or or other people, um, because you've said a couple of things in your book that uh, even though I think about this subject constantly, um, (laughs) you know, and it's my work and all that, uh, a couple of unusual things. The first one being... um, if you're anxious about dying, it's not your day to die. I thought that was a very unusual and uh, and it rang true to me that when we, yeah. Large congregation and I, you know, have many, I officiated many, many, many funerals. And over the 30 years I've been a rabbi, I, I would say at least a thousand. So I've held the hands of hundreds and hundreds of dying people. And I, I assure you, I promise you, I promise your listeners, I promise my readers that when the moment of death really arrives, when people are truly dying, not in my experience, not one person has been afraid. It is as natural a thing as life itself. You know, the, the closest thing I can compare it to without having lived it myself is, you know how 
at the end of a very, very long day or several days when you're just completely and totally exhausted. All you want to do is get into bed and pull the covers up around you and just snuggle into this sleep. You're not Mm -hmm. anxious about sleeping. You're not depressed about sleeping. You're not afraid to go to sleep. It's just the most natural thing in the world to want to do. From my experience in observing so many deaths, it's very similar to this. And what does this mean then? This means if, if, if when you're really dying, there's no fear, then if you are afraid of dying, then it's not your day. It's not your time. And, and, and a lot of people who have fear of death find this very comforting because they say, oh, I remember what Steve said. If I'm afraid of dying right now, it actually means it's I'm not, not dying. today. Yeah. And it well, and it calms people down. So I think it's also a very useful way of thinking. In addition, you know, the lawyers like to say it has the added benefit of being true. So <laughs> it's both helpful and true. Yes. You know, it, it brought so uh, clear into my mind something I think of uh, relatively often when my mom died. It was a few years ago now. Um, on the day she died, and I felt she was going to die that day. The The hospice people thought it would be a week, but I felt it would be that day. And she yeah. said, you know, I thought this would be terrible, but really it's not so bad. Right, right, right. because <laughs> she was ready. Idea. And she was, w- she was quite an anxious person in her life. So yeah, I wonder if that... Not when she got there, but I, I it makes exactly. me wonder if a lot of our anxiety doesn't oh. somehow, you know, have to do with this uh, impending doom feeling about this natural occurrence and um, what that creates in us to be yeah, so. I, I, and by the way, one interesting thing about about it for me, it, to, just to prove your point, when I'm officiating at funerals and there are young children there. Unless their parents have made them afraid, they are not naturally afraid. They're no, I, I agree. You know, they they want to know what's happening and is that where Grandpa's going and can I look in there and can I see and can I help? It. They're not naturally frightened by death. We give that to them. Now there are lots of reasons for that, of course. Um, but you know, generally speaking, we have the wrong idea about about death, and this is based on you know many, many, three decades of experience. Yeah, I, I found that to be true, that uh, some of my friends who were very, very uncomfortable with death, when my wife died and they brought their kids to the wake, I don't know why they did, because they were so f- afraid, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they virtually abandoned their, uh, one kid in particular, uh, and she was shaken like a leaf. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and it turned out it wasn't being with a dead body that it that was scaring her. It was what happens to me if one of my parents dies. Right. And that, by <laughs> you the know, way, and nobody that, was even asking her what was scaring her. It wasn't right. death. And, and let's just pause for it. Let's just talk about that for a moment very quickly. The thing to do, because all children who are exposed to the to death worry that their parent will be next. And, uh, you know, the thing you want to do to your children is tell them the truth, but in a comforting way. Definitely. So, yes, I'm going to die because all things die. However, you know, before I die, you're going to finish elementary school. Then you're going to go to high school. 
And when you're 16, you're going to get your driver's license. When you're 18, you're going to be able to vote and you're going to go off to college and then you're going to finish college and you're going to decide what you want to do and you're going to have a job and then maybe someday you'll fall in love and you know, you'll know you be the mommy or you'll have children, you'll be the daddy and, and then those children will have children and you'll be the grandpa and you'll be the grandpa. You know, you want to, you want to tell them the truth that yes, all things die, but it's not going to happen for a very, 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 very long time. Now, we and, all yeah. know that any one of us can get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? So it's a little bit like telling your kid the plane's not going to crash when they're worried getting on the plane for the first time. We all know it's possible, but it's very unlikely. So I'm a big advocate of telling kids the truth about death, but in a way that is also comforting to them. Well, I, I wonder what you would think about what I actually said to this particular child who yeah. had a, a, a parent with illnesses. Mm. Ironically, not life-threatening at the time, but mm-hmm. her parent did end up dying way before she was grown up. Yeah. Um, what I said to her was, that could happen, probably not, but it could happen. And I want to remind you that a lot of people love you and we'd all take care of you. Perfect. And she completely it's a, it's calmed down. It's the truth and comforting. Yeah, and yes. it was, yeah, total truth, and yes. it was all she needed. Uh, yep. You know, that's that's the bottom line. She didn't need yeah. much, just... That's right. You know, my, here's the I have truth a 25-year-old daughter there. who says to me, I have a 25-year-old daughter who says, you know, what would, what would happen if mommy died? And I said, you know, we'd be very sad, but we'd get through it together, and we'd take care of each other. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Yep. That's the truth. Uh, and as someone who works in grief, planting, I, I particularly enjoy planting the, the um, notion that grief is doable, which yeah. there's so little of that. And obviously it's doable because so many people do it. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the other thing that, that struck me about what you say about death was uh, when people say, I can't imagine what you're going through. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. But uh, you say they they all have, and that rings so true to me. Um, yeah. so that we all this. had that terror. I, I learned this from a friend of mine whose son, thirty uh, year old son, committed suicide. And he said to me, one of the things that bothered him was when people approached him and said, oh, "I can't imagine what you're going through." And he and he knew that wasn't true. Every parent imagines the death of his or her child. You know, the first time they're not home by curfew or the, you know, or, yes. or the phone rings at three in the morning or whatever. We've all imagined it. So don't pretend you haven't imagined it. You know, say, I, I've imagined what you're going through and, and it, I'm so sorry. And it must be terribly painful. And I'm here. You know, don't, don't pretend you can't understand. You, you can't understand it fully, but you've thought about it. You've imagined it. Every parent does. So I think authenticity is, is extremely important. And people, you know, you were talking earlier about when friends came to help you. People see through phoniness very quickly. Especially when they're vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in right. both in, in that kind of circumstance, your skin is stripped off. And right. um, you you feel what people are communicating very directly. Yeah. And you, I you know, think. this is also one of the beautiful things that comes from having endured pain yourself. It makes you a much, much 
better friend for others who are in need. You're oh, amen able, to that. You understand the nuances of their pain in ways that other people simply cannot. And it's, and it's deeply appreciated and deeply felt by the person who's suffering when someone else really, truly understands. It means a lot. Because it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the, the part of the pain that's so difficult is the feeling of being in it alone, the feeling of abandonment. Um, the feeling of isolation that comes with pain. And, and that's so true uh, with grief. You know, but it is possible to pierce that feeling for others um, by being you know, keenly, keenly attuned to the nuances of their suffering and of their grief, which as we both know, you know we were talking about it during the break, uh, grief is not a linear process. It's not something that gets a little better every day. It's much more like waves. Yes you know, that ebb and flow and ebb and flow. And sometimes it just feels like a mess. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, and <laughs> That's part of it, too. <laughs> and when well, it does, and... you have to surrender to it. You just have to float with it. You know, one of the best things someone said to me, she was, she's an artist, said to me when I was really, really in the sort of trough of my depression uh, because of the opioids, she said to me, you know, you just got to float with it. Don't fight it so much. Just float with it until you can stand up again. And that helped me. It helped me a lot. And well, this is true yeah. of grief. Absolutely, because resistance adds, adds um, a lot of pain yeah. to, to the kernel. Right. You know, um, allowing it actually makes it uh, sometimes not even pain. I know when I was in my... In the year after my wife died, and I cried all the time, but I didn't yeah. mind it. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. I didn't feel unhappy about it. I was like, I loved her. It was a beautiful relationship. Uh, I have no complaints. And, right. uh, and I'm just grieving, and I, I, she deserves it. That's <laughs> it's right. Actually yes, because, thinking. you know, to deny the grief is to deny the love. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we've come to the end of our time together, and it's gone very quickly for me. Yes, me too. I, I, I enjoyed this conversation, and you know, I hope it helps people. I really do. I hope so too, and I hope you'll you'll keep me up to date uh, on what you're up to. I know you mentioned maybe there will even be a book on grief one of these days, and I'll have to have you back when when and if that happens. But in the meantime, that would be my honor. Yeah, in the meantime, thank you. Um, I hope people will go find your book. And um, you can find the book at uh, Amazon, and you can find Steve at uh, Stephen Leader at www.wbtla.org. Next week, I'll have Joy LaVerde. Uh She's returning to my show to talk about her new book, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? Plan Now to Safeguard Your Health and Happiness in Old Age. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.